But this morning, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke, the 19th chapter. Um, everything that we believe as Christians, all that we embrace uh, as far as the, the truth of the Word of God, uh, everything that we believe is of no consequence whatsoever if the Lord Jesus did not rise from the grave. Paul said if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then our faith's fade. We're still dead in our sins. We're going to spend eternity in hell. There is no hope if Jesus did not rise from the grave. There's no, no purpose in what we're doing if Jesus did not rise from the grave. So today, people are celebrating, they call it Palm Sunday. And that's because Jesus was his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, he went in. Uh, being hailed as the king and he left uh, being placed in a tomb and uh, so this morning what we want to do I want to spend a little time talking about uh, the preparation for the resurrection there were a lot of things that happened and, uh, and it's, it's important for us to remember as believers that there are certain things that are true about our God well, we understand that he's um, omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere all at the same time. He's omnipotent. He can do whatever he wants to do. But really, the overriding character trait, the, the, the attribute that he has that is, that is kind, of, kind of blends them all together, is that he is sovereign. And there are certain things that are true underneath that heading that we need to remember. So we'll give you three things that, that are always true of our Savior and, and of our God uh, in light of what He's doing in our life and that we're going to see very obviously in this passage this morning. First of all, whatever He does, He does with intent. He has a purpose in it all. We need to remember as we go through this thing with the coronavirus, we're all sitting at home. And, uh, and we're wishing that we could be out and we wish that we could, could meet together as, as a church family. We wish that we could go and do the things that we normally do. We can't right now. And, uh, and we have a tendency to think that we are victims of this virus that nobody knows anything about exactly how it started. They have some ideas. They don't know how long it's going to last. Uh, I read this morning... Uh, they were saying that they want everybody to get tested, but really, what's the point in getting tested? Because they say, if you get tested and it comes back negative, you are not to assume that that means you don't have the virus. So what's the point of the testing? The, the whole point of it all is that there's, there is no knowledge. There's nothing that they know that can help them to be able to take care of this thing. And we're still scrambling, and that makes everybody... A little uneasy. But you have to remember that our God has a purpose in what he does. And not only that, he does what he does with knowledge. You understand that with the coronavirus, that God knows exactly what it is. He knows how long it's going to last. He knows when it's going to end. He knows what's going to happen to us in the meantime. And because he knows that, and because he has an intent, he has a purpose in it, then we can, be, we can be at peace. We can trust Him 
and not be anxious over it all. And then there's a third thing that's true because he's sovereign. He does everything he does with intent. He does everything he does with knowledge. And he does everything he does with authority, which means that he has control. He does what he chooses to do. So as we look at this passage, this is a week before the resurrection. And, uh, and, and let's begin reading verse number 29. Well, as we go through this, I want you to keep in the back of your mind those three, those three words. Intent, knowledge, authority. And I'll point them out in the first thing we're going to talk about. But then we'll, we'll just go through. I've got five things I want us to look at very quickly. But look beginning in verse number 29. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt eye, whereon hath yet never man sat. Loose him, and bring him hither. If any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent away, or, or they, they were sent with their way, and found even as he has said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. So they went and got the colt as Jesus told them to do. So in this, this thing that happened, we see first of all, the intent of our Savior he told them what he wanted them to do. And he had a purpose in what he was doing. We see the knowledge. He knew which cult he wanted. He knew where it was. And he gave them that information so they could go and get it. And then he did it with authority. He said, if they say unto you, what do you, what do you want with the, this cult? You say to them, the Lord hath need of him. Intent, knowledge, and authority. All three of those play out in everything we're going to talk about today. So five things that we see in preparation for Easter or in preparation for the resurrection. The first thing I want you to notice is a coronation. Look again, beginning at verse, um, verse 35. Uh, the Bible says, They brought the colt to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt. And they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That must have been an amazing scene. Jesus, the Son of God, Riding on a on a colt, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. Now wait a minute. Some of this doesn't add up. If he is the king, how come he's riding on a donkey? If he's a king, why is it that he's not robed in, in royal clothing? See, this was not, you know, we talk about it, it, it was a as far as the people were concerned, the Jews were concerned, for them it was a coronation. This is our king. He has come to set us free. And their expectation 
Their longing was to be free from the tyranny of Rome. They wanted Jesus to come in and establish his kingdom and to take over by authority all that went on in that area and to dethrone Rome. They were in bondage in a very real sense. They had freedom to, to do certain things, but Rome controlled them. The, the, the leader of the Jews was under the authority of the Roman government. And so they were anticipating Jesus coming to set them free. These same people, by the way, were going to be part of the crowd that was standing behind the, the, the leaders just four days down the road when Jesus... Pilate's offering someone, you want Barabbas or you want Jesus? And they said, crucify him. Same people. Here they're saying, behold, the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Later they're going to be saying, crucify him. It's a huge change. They're going from, from, from supposedly worshiping him as king to down the road crucifying him. So what's going on there? Well, they had emotion that was built on the wrong foundation. They were worshiping him because of what he could do for them. What they wanted him to do. They were worshiping him because they thought he was going to do their bidding. They thought he was going to do what they wanted him to do. And they could not understand why Jesus came. Later, they changed their mind. So let me make this statement. This is, is very important. And that is artificially induced emotion, which is what this was. This was built upon their expectation, not what Jesus had said. It was built upon their desire, their anticipation of getting what they want. Artificially induced emotion is a poor substitute for authentic worship. They were not worshiping Jesus. That's what they were saying. He, behold, the king, king cometh in the, in the name of the Lord. But actually, they were saying, behold, here's a guy who's going to take care of what we want him to do. And when that didn't happen, the worship went out the window. Genuine worship is not affected by things that happen that are not what we want. I mean, you're, you're watching this, this, this live stream today. I'm here preaching. Your worship has not been affected by the coronavirus. It's still intact. The fact that it's here and, and the Lord hasn't taken care of it as quickly as we want to, wanted Him to does not affect our worship. That's authentic worship. But what they had was false worship. The coronation. Secondly, we see the compassion of our Savior. Look at verse number 41. The Bible says that when he was come near, he, Jesus, beheld the city and wept over it. Notice what he said, verse 42. Let's read on. If thou hadst known, even thou, at the least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For in the days shall come, for the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee around, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. 
you suppose those words may have had a, an impact in their change in opinion about the Lord Jesus? He's telling them that what's going to happen is exactly what they want to happen. I mean, exactly the opposite of what they want to happen. But the Bible says that Jesus beheld the city and he wept over it. Second time. This is the second time he's done that. Turn back to Luke chapter 13. Briefly. Luke chapter 13. We're going to begin looking at verse 34. Well, let's, let's begin reading in verse 31. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto him, Get thee out, and depart thence, hence, for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, Go ye, and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. And then he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killeth the prophets and stoneth them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather a brood under her wings? And ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, you shall not see me, until the day come, through the tables, and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. That was as he was beginning his ministry. That's right after he had turned the water into wine at the wedding feast. Now he's at the end of his ministry. He's finally reached this place where he has been traveling through Galilee for all these all these years, the three years. He's finally going to be there where he was uh, going to fulfill his purpose. And they're still doing exactly what they were doing before. You'll notice a difference in Jesus' language. In the first time he threw the tables over, he said, um, he said, not make, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Notice what he says this time. It is written, my house. He doesn't say my father's house. He says now my house. Because at this point, he's already told them that he's God. That's part of the reason he's being arrested in a moment. This time, he's made it clear that he is God. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. So now he says to him, he escalates a little bit. This We're not talking about my father's house. You're talking about my house. And not that you've made it a house of merchandise. He says... You made it a den of thieves. Much more, much more condemning the word, the words that he says, the terminology there. And uh, and I think part of the reason for that would have to be the fact that they ignored his first warning. You know, it's very easy, and we as believers need to be careful to guard against this. It's very easy for us to cross a line if we're not careful. We, we you know, reason in our, in our thinking and we come to the place where we are comfortable with a certain thing, even though there's a little bit of hesitation, maybe a little bit of discomfort. We figure a way to work around, you know, and, and do things in our own way and, and we justify them and we say that God surely won't hold me accountable for that. Because I'm, tr- I'm trying to do the right thing. By the way, it's never, it's never all right to do something for the right reason if you're doing the wrong thing. Amen. 
It's never a good idea to do something for the right reason, and even if you have the right motive, if you're doing it the way God said not to do it, or if you're not doing it the way God said to do it. You remember, Saul tried to justify what he did when he chose to save the best, when God said destroy all the Amalekites, and he saved Agag the king alive. And then he saved the best of the, of the spoils. God said destroy it all. But when uh, the prophet came and confronted him, he said, we saved those things alive because we knew we could use them to worship the Lord. And that's when Samuel said, has God as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? God's not interested in us doing it our way with the right motive and just ignoring what he says. But Saul crossed that line. David crossed the line when he brought the ark back. Tried to bring the ark back the first time. And you remember the, the, they put it on a new card and Uzzah stumbled and God smote Uzzah. And, uh, and David, obviously David's heart was right. His motive was right. He just forgot to find out how God said to do it. But it's easy for us, if we're not careful, to cross a line in doing things our way without paying attention to what God said. And being concerned about what God wanted. And, uh, and so these guys, selling the doves and selling the, the, uh, the animals, that kind of thing, they were maybe in their mind doing the right thing because they're trying to allow people to have the animals they need to sacrifice. But God said that's not the way it works. So we see the cleansing. Coronation, compassion, cleansing. Number four, condemnation. Which has turned to chapter 23, Luke 23. Now there was a good bit of, of, of activity in between. You know, several days have passed. So we're now to the point where Jesus has been arrested. And in Luke 23, beginning in verse 13, please follow along as I read it. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, said unto them, he brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you. I have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof ye accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him. And lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity we must, he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all the more, all at once, saying, Away this man, and release unto us Barabbas. Many of these, the same people that said, Behold, the king who cometh in the name of the Lord, who were worshiping him earlier. But they cried all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spoke again unto them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Now we all understand that Jesus was a just man. That Jesus did nothing wrong. His, his judgment was unjust. He died innocent. He, he was not guilty of anything they said. You know who recognized that? It was the secular government, Pilate, Herod. But the Jews 
The religious people, they wanted him dead. And it had nothing to do with him with him doing something evil. It had everything to do with the fact that he was not going to do their bidding. He was not going to overthrow the Roman government. And so we have the condemnation. And then finally, in verse 33 of chapter 23, the Bible says, And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Jesus was crucified. All of that, by the way, in preparation for what we're going to celebrate next Sunday, which is the resurrection. All of that had to happen. If that had not happened, then we'd have no hope. But because Jesus was willing to come and suffer on the cross, and then the fact that he rose from the grave, then we have that gift of salvation. Now I want you to go back to what I said at the beginning. Three words. Intent. I want you to look at the ministry of Jesus overall. Everything that's culminating next Sunday when we worship, uh, when, we, when we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior from the dead. All that, everything prior to that is preparing for that service. That time that he rose from the dead. So three words. Number one is intent. Jesus came to this earth. By the way, it was very clear. He, he said, you're not going to receive me. Uh, John 1 verse 12, he came unto his own. His own received him not. He came to the Jews, but the Jews received him not. They rejected him. Uh, even though it looked like they were going to worship him when he first came into Jerusalem, they rejected him. But Jesus' intent was to go to Jerusalem from the very beginning. You, you read the book of Matthew. There's, there's certain things, as you read the Gospels, it's interesting to pay careful attention to. You read the book of John. Read through the book of John. Brother, Brother Ham was talking about at the very beginning, reading the Psalms and saying, uh, who my God is or, or who my God is and, and I am God's and then answering those questions. Well, it's good to read through the book of John and just track the word believe. See how many times Jesus used the word believe. It's, it's, it's always interesting to me that we talk about, about praying to get saved. But in John, Jesus talked about believing to get saved. And so as a result, we have people that pray prayers that have never believed. That's not a good thing. That's right. They need to know that it's belief that saves you. That's what Jesus said over and over again in the book of John. Read through the book of Matthew and notice how many times Jesus said, I must needs go to Jerusalem. It was his, his goal, his relentless pursuit. That's where he was going. He was going there with knowledge. He knew what was going to happen. He knew why he was going. He knew what was going to happen to him when he got there. And yet he went anyway. He knew that when he got to Jerusalem, they were going to, first, that they were going to hail him as the king. But then they were going to reject him. He knew that he was going to be scourged. 
that he was going to be beaten. They were going to put a crown of, a, put a, a crown of thorns on his head. They were going to mock him and pull his beard out. I mean, all those things, all those things that we read about that were so horrible, he knew they were going to happen. But the greatest burden that he carried was the fact that he knew he was going to become sin for us. It's hard for us to, to, to really grasp the significance of that because we live in a sinful world. We judge good or bad based on our perception of things. We look at somebody over here who's very short and you feel tall. And then you look at somebody on the other side who's very tall and you feel very short. Well, we look at people around us and we say, that guy's done that, he's done that, he's done this, he's done all of these things, so I'm a pretty good person. Then we look at somebody else who lives a, a godly life and who loves the Lord and you get all of a sudden you feel like, well, I'm not so great. We're not supposed to be measuring things that way. The Bible says that they who measure things that way are not wise. Because our standard is not what we see around us. It's not this world that we live in. Our standard is the perfection of our God. And when you measure, when we measure ourselves against the perfection, the righteousness of our God, then we fall way, 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 way short. And, and, and it's hard for us to, to realize how, how absolutely filthy our sin is. Because we don't know what it's like to be absolutely pure and absolutely righteous. But Jesus left a place of absolute righteousness. There was no sin. There was no evil. There was nothing in his environment where he lived that was dirty or contaminated in any way. And he came to a place that was a sewer ultimately is what it boiled down to. And he knew when he got on the cross all of the wretchedness of mankind was going to be loaded on his shoulders and he was going to pay that sin debt. He came with intent. He knew where he was going. He came with a purpose. He knew what he was going to do. But he came with the knowledge that he was going to pay that sin debt. And it's, it's you know, we, we read... We read about the statements that he made on the cross and, and probably one of the most one of the most gut-wrenching cries that came from our Savior's lips while he was on the cross was when he made that statement, when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the Bible says that the, the sun stopped shining for an hour, the, the earth went dark, and God turned his back on his only son so that we can have the gift of eternal life. So he came with intent. He knew, he, he had a plan. He knew where he was going. He, was, he set his face like a flint. He was going to Jerusalem. Now he's here. He came with knowledge. He knew the burden that he was going to bear when he got here. But the good thing is he also came with authority. And we're not going to examine that until next week. Because the authority comes when he walks out of the grave. And he gains victory over death, over hell, over sin, over Satan, and makes it possible for us to have the righteousness that he has. It's very difficult for us 
as believers to, to understand all that because our 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 understanding is limited. The Bible says we see through a glass darkly. We don't see clearly when we look at this stuff. We understand what the Bible says, but we understand it with our finite minds. You know, we're we're very limited. But to understand what it means for Jesus to make that that exchange, to say, you know what? We know our sin. We know what we're like. But Jesus said, I'll take your sin. And I'm going to give you my righteousness. That's hard to understand. It's hard. To, we, we, have, we, have, we have no comprehension of what that means. Except for the fact it means that we don't have to pay for our sin. And it means that we can have a relationship with the creator who made us. And that we have the privilege of living in his presence for eternity. That's worth celebrating. Amen. And that's worth rejoicing over. Mm-hmm. And so all of this, the coronation that was false, the compassion which demonstrated God's love for, for mankind, the cleansing him taking care of what they were they were doing in the temple that was was uh, was uh, without any um, any spiritual spiritual value whatsoever. His condemnation, though he was innocent, Pilate said, "His blood is on you. He has not done anything. He does not deserve this." And they cried out, "Yet yeah, crucify him! Crucify him!" And then his crucifixion. He paid that price. Intent, knowledge, and authority. And that authority, I mean, that's, that's, that covers everything. That takes care of it all. It makes everything else of no significance because he's in control. And that is the greatest truth that you or I as a believer will ever grasp is the fact that God is sovereign, he's in control. Because he is, we have salvation. And because he is, we can deal with whatever comes on this earth. Let's bow for God.